So welcome back to Roll for Enterprise. And as usual this week, we have Mike Yanino, Zach Zilakakis, and me, Dominic Wellington. And we wanted to first catch up on what's been going on in the world of tech in the last few days. Today, the big topic that everyone's talking about is the epic battle royale between Hey.com and Apple. So to recap, in case you've been living under a rock or otherwise out of reach of the Twitter sphere, what's going on is Hey.com launched its new email service by the creators of Basecamp. And it's a weird one because it claims to cut down on your spam and so on and so forth, but it's an entirely walled garden. It only works within Hey.com app and service. You can't use the Hey.com app to read your Gmail and you can't use your Gmail with a Hey.com address. So it's an entirely segregated thing and it costs $99 a year or quite a bit more than that if you want shorter email addresses. That's uh, one of the interesting things. But what really got them in trouble was they submitted to Apple and uh, V1 got accepted, but then they submitted a bug fix release and Apple said, oh no, 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 you have to have the in-app purchase through the app store and give us our 30% cut. And that is when everything blew up. Is that a fair summary, guys? Pretty uh, pretty first summary. I mean, um, at first I didn't know I needed a new email client or a whole other email, uh, which is uh, surprising that somebody would go to such lengths to uh, to create a new uh, email experience. Although, okay, maybe, maybe we do need to relook at it. And then the whole, uh, maybe the best PR stunt uh, in the history of a new application, uh, go after Apple, get everybody talking about it. And then uh, people go back and try to figure out what are we really talking about here? I think that's how, uh, that's how I saw the whole, uh, you know, two themes in, uh, in one story. Yeah, that's the, the angle that I singled out as well. And there are even people saying it's a conspiracy and they did all this on purpose. And that would be some conspiracy to persuade Apple to first accept your app and then refuse the bug fix version. I think it's just good PR uh, on the part of the Basecamp guys. David DHH on Twitter is a savvy operator. So he certainly plans to launch uh, the week before WWDC. That's a good time to get a lot of press for a new app. But everything else that happened was pure coincidence. And he's been riding that tiger very, very well. The ones that should have been more on the ball at Apple PR. I mean, the week before WWDC, really, is that the time you want to pick a high-profile fight with a Twitter loudmouth? I'm sure there's some PR people drinking quite heavily over in Cupertino. And yes, I do know it's still early in the morning there. But nevertheless... By the way, if I ever had a choice to subscribe to any service uh, through their medium or through Apple, I would automatically take Apple. Uh, and, and maybe I should feel bad that Apple's taking the 25 or 30% the first year. And I, I think it reduces the second year or whatever it is. Yeah, 15% in the second year for recurring. Yeah, the, the nice thing, though, is like Apple's made it really easy to cancel these types of services, whereas any other company, they, they put these like modes to cancel and, and it gets really annoying. Oh, God, and you have to call someone on the phone and it's a nightmare. Yeah, exactly. So if I had to pay for a service, I would always go the Apple route just because they have made it super easy and super right. And, and I think, you know, people might complain about Apple, but it's the same thing with any other platform. I mean, they own the platform. Yeah, it's 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 pay to play on the platform. I mean, they could release on Samsung, they could do a web client. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. So I, I think I, I, I side more here on the, the side of Apple just because the experience that they've built for me and, and I trust them that I won't have a garbage app and anything I install on their app store. Yeah, that's what the 30% pays for, right? But Zach, you've been quiet as, uh, hey, that's not interesting to you. You're like email 2020, really? No, I just I despise email. I think uh, Jason Freed from uh, from Basecamp. I, I, I like some of the things he had to say. I think I've been striving for a, a different way. Right, uh, email is is just atrocious. You know, inbox is full. People you don't want to hear from. 
And so I've been, you know, leveraging some other tools that are out there, the the Slacks, the Teams, um, you know, those kind of things. And um, I've enjoyed those, right? It's cut down on my email a lot. So I'm, I'm anti-email and I, I think it's been, you know, a long, long, long time since we had any innovation in email. Is it worth it? I don't know. Am I willing to pay the money? I am actually. Now, but what you're referring to as far as this, this you know, back and forth with Apple, I also agree with with Mike on that. I think, you know, it's, it's their platform and it, it is what it is. And, you know, you don't have to like it or accept it. Question I have is where are they going with this ultimately? Um, you know, it's uh, the big three own 80% of this, this email market. So, you know, when you look at Gmail and, and Microsoft, um, which was it like the hotmail or whatever, you know, I'm just kind of figuring out where they're trying to go, but I'm willing to try it. I'm willing to try it. Aren't you always surprised when somebody emails you from like a, a Yahoo or e- e- even hotmail has lost some of its, uh, some of its luster. Cause most of the new uh, Microsoft experiences are from outlook.com. Right. So, you know, are we going to look back and everybody's going to be on Hey one day? I, I think a hundred dollars a year is still something that people, again, it, it falls back to the privacy discussion we had uh, way before. Right. I think, um, you know, do you want to hide everything from Google so that they can't advertise to you? So, you know, the, the advertising is, is what is the hundred dollars a year and take that away. And then you have a, a cleaner email experience. It's, it's real interesting. Cause I, I think also a lot of this, this, a lot of email has shifted to iMessage, to Facebook Messenger, to, you know, all these chat clients, uh, DMs in certain applications. So it's a little different, the email landscape we see these days. You're right. I've, I've actually, I've told my team, you know, if you need to reach me, let's use Slack. If not that, try to text me. But email is... Um, Let's face it, we're in an era of productivity. So I think the the announcement is interesting as well from a productivity. And we talk about automation on our previous episodes. And I think email is very, it's counter to all that. I mean, it's, it's just it's just not productive. And so, you know, how can we fix this? I don't know that another email service is going to fix it, but I'm looking at, I would look at trying it. Um, you know, he has a point. Uh, anybody who's had an email address in the last 10 years, it's all over the place. I mean, it's been bought, sold multiple times. It's out there. So uh, from a security perspective, are you willing to pay for that? But I think the bigger question is, is how effective is email? I mean, like I said, I if you email me, I tell people, wait 24 to 48 hours sometimes for a reply. Okay. But if you Slack me or if you message me, you'll get it right away. Yeah, you're probably right. I don't know. I think this is something that we'll see over time, definitely. I'm curious to see we'll revisit it in a year's time when your renewal comes up for your hey.com. And uh, you'll tell us <laughs> how you feel. But I think this is also a bit like, uh, you know, telco carriers. They're trying to be more than just a dumb pipe. And they're trying to add value over the top and make it sticky. And people just don't really care that much. They just want the bits to come out the other end. That's my theory. But before we get too deep into those particular weeds, the other interesting piece of news this week was Zoom. So Zoom has been in the news a lot through, through quarantine. People have been doing all sorts of stuff uh, over Zoom. They've been quarantini, they've been dating, they've been karaoke. Um, I hear there have even been some uh, intimate adult parties uh, conducted over Zoom. So, you know, people have been doing pretty much anything they would normally do in person over Zoom. Um, and that has put Zoom in the spotlight in a way that enterprise tools usually aren't uh, in the sort of mainstream media spotlight. 
And one of the things people picked up on was some limitations in the end-to-end encryption. And then they said, okay, we'll put that in the paid accounts, but we won't give them to free accounts. Free accounts will remain unencrypted. And now they've caved on that as well. And so the free accounts are also going to get encryption. I don't know how long-term relevant this is, to be honest. That would be my position. And I've used literally all of these tools. I have an entire folder on my phone and it scrolls into a second screen for all of the, the video conferencing apps. They're all much for muchness these days. It used to be there was a big difference between one and the other and some of them are still you know an uglier ui than another zoom got its win by being easier to install than the others but it doesn't really do anything dramatically different and so the next thing that comes along that's a little bit easier than zoom or has another gimmick behind it to give its adoption there's no moat to protect zoom from another incumbent so it's in the news now I'm fairly certain, and you know, feel free to call me on this, in a year's time, we're setting ourselves up well for the episode a year from now. Uh, let's revisit this topic and see where Zoom is at. So I struggle to get too much interest worked up over this topic. What do you guys think? I agree with what you said. I think Zoom is, it's good for the wife, for the kids to get on. I don't think it's an enterprise solution. Um, and I think we're going to look back in a year, and I agree with you, it's it's going to be a little bit different. Um I, you know, if we're talking today, enterprise, I, I, I think Microsoft is leading the way without integrating everything into Teams. You know, what will happen in a year? Uh, I'm not sure, but my money's on Satya to, to figure that out and adjust. Oh, you just set me off on one of those. Now, for the listeners who don't know, so we have a Teams set up for this podcast, but I'm also in a few other Teams things, whatever the Teams team is. Now, if you're in Slack, you can be in as many Slacks as you want. They're just tabs along the side. If you're in Teams and you want to be in a different team, well, you've got to quit Teams and log in again. And if it's not your corporate Teams setup, you have to go and find your original invitation email. At least that's the only way I found to switch from one guest team to another guest team. It's not the easiest thing to use. So that would be a difference if Zoom merged with, say, Slack, and they came up with an integrated product that worked well. Teams works well. I like it as long as you don't have to be in more than one team at once. Once you do that, oh, you're back in the old bad Microsoft of the 90s. Now you shall not do that, or you can do it, but it's going to be very, very difficult. I, I think it's a little unfair to compare like Zoom to Teams. I mean, Teams is doing so much more than just what, what Zoom is doing. I mean, right. Zoom is Zoom is video call, super hyper-focused. But, you know, I, I look at the, like, the end-to-end encryption uh, for all that the announcement they made today. I mean, honestly, too little, too late. I mean... They, I mean, this has been a kind of embarrassing for them for a long time. And the fact that they were forced to do this, I mean, at first they said, oh, we're only going to do it for paid subscribers. Then they even backed that out and said, okay, we're going to do it for free and paid now too. So everybody will get the end-to-end encryption. I mean, it, it's just a, a little late. Uh, they're being strong-armed. And I think, you know, to what Zach said, I mean, they had the opportunity to build like escape velocity on, on, on Zoom and make sure that nobody could catch up. But you're right, Dominic. Now it's like, yeah, anybody who's going to come up with the next best thing can can unseed them. And I think if you look at some apps like House Party, I think House Party is doing a lot of interesting things around, you know, the social kind of video calls. And I, I think it's I, I think there's a lot of threat around Zoom. And, and now it's like, I think their their advantage, they're starting to lose it a little, and it's really easy for an incumbent to come and kind of knock them out, right? Because 
to me, it's just marketing and PR that they have now and maybe a little momentum, but that momentum is starting to dry up, right? And you'll have noticed perhaps that the stock has not kept pace with the user growth because the user growth is mainly in free accounts that people have been using to sign up to do you know, their karaoke or their Sudoku together or whatever it is. Uh, and so there's a real question mark over whether they'll be able to monetize this huge increase in attention that they've been getting over, say, house party. I, I'm, I'm always surprised by the enterprise accounts that they have, right? Because I mean, how do you, how do you integrate? integrate into other tools. I mean, it's a it's a little, I mean, you're doing one thing and one thing really well, but then where's the integration into other tools? Don't you want it to be kind of seamless? And I don't see like an enterprise going to Zoom, making it seamless. Then I, I bet those enterprises that go to Zoom, it's because, oh, some people ask for it, but I bet you they have like four or five video apps or, or chat apps, or, you know, I, I think they don't have a, a clear strategy when they move there. And I think that's one thing that Zoom is... Uh, thoroughly missing, to be honest. Well, I agree because I think, you know, I think what Mike, what you're saying is there's so much more. We look at uh, Microsoft 365 Business Voice and that is really starting to take off. They're where I think maybe uh, a Cisco was 20 years ago, where now I think Cisco is probably, you know, fighting for their ground like an Avaya was 20 years ago, perhaps, right? So I think Microsoft is able to offer so much more. And I think it depends on who the, the buyer is. I think you said this, Dominic, who's who's the buyer? Is it the enterprise buyer or is it the, the person at home, right? So what are they looking for? But I think Microsoft just, I mean, of all the cloud players, I would put my money on Microsoft and what they're able to deliver as a part of that team suite. And it would only get better because let's remember Satya's behind the behind the wheel and he's going to make sure that he completes it. Right. Okay. I see where you're coming from. The, the point where I disagree is it depends on what you're using it for. If you're using it for internal comms, then back to the point, Teams is great and Zoom is missing a, a big play there by not adding more to it because Teams is effectively a whole bunch of things. It's SharePoint, chat and video calls and that. And, and Zoom is just that one thing and they focus on that. If you're looking at it from the other end though, uh, so I've used Zoom for my past few companies. What it did have going for it is that it had the shortest and easiest journey from send an invite to I am pitching my products to the customer. Back in the day, WebEx was the leader of the pack, but it would still often fall foul of security policies at the customer end, or someone would have trouble installing the plugin, and there wasn't a web client that in those days that worked well, and, and, and. What got Zoom into the market was that you could send an invite and you could be reasonably certain that the customer would, within just a few minutes, be on your, uh, your sales call and be listening to your pitch. And Teams is not good for that. You can't send someone outside your org the invite and have them join uh, your pitch. It's a lot of friction in the way of doing that. What it's great at is what Cisco has pivoted to with unified communications within the org comms, doing all of the augmented whiteboards and all of that fun stuff. And certainly Zoom isn't doing any of that. So they may have a future with the sales org that needs to send invites as that very focused point solution, even if the org is using something else to talk internally. Right now, Zoom is filling both of those roles in many places. And that's where I see them as being weak because they don't have any stickiness there. They could easily be replaced by something equally focused that comes along and does that job better than they're doing. So basically two video apps, one internal, one external, Zoom being the external one, right? Yeah, exactly. As far as I know, Zoom doesn't have any conference room integration. So you can't go into like, you know, Cisco has conference rooms that are all wired up and you sit at half of a table and then there's a huge screen in front of you and the other half of the table is the other side of the world 
but it kind of looks and feels like you're all sitting around one big round table. And those are amazing, but you know, it's a big investment. You can't use those casually. Yeah, I think they actually do have Zoom certified devices that they will guarantee end-to-end encryption on those, but not on their non-certified devices, I guess. That's, that's also something I heard this week. So right, The Zoom rooms that we have, the iPads and projectors, they're nothing more sophisticated than that. We'll see. But yeah, let's revisit this in a year. We, we have a bet. Zach will sign up for hey.com and we'll see if Zoom is still out there. <laughs> I, I will. I want to wrap this up with one quick thing. I think communication style will be different in a year. I mean, so let's revisit it. We'll see. I, I think things are going to be different. Um, just to bring it full circle, Jason Freed again from Basecamp um, and this hey.com email. I, I think he's right. We're we're looking at this the wrong way. We're trying to bring the office to the how to the home, and it's it's not how we should be doing it. But yeah, let's look at it in a year. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Definitely. Okay. So the meat of the episode, the main topic that we wanted to talk about, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, but it's getting into the world of uh, networking. Where's networking at? Networking is having a moment as well. There are a lot of different things uh, that are happening in that space. I think of all of us, Zach is probably closest. So why don't you lead off uh, on this topic? And then we can discuss. Yeah, thank you. So one of the things that we're, everybody has been seeing, obviously, and it started, you know, a couple, three years ago is, is the open in, internet concept, um, you know, how people are leveraging the increased bandwidth um, as opposed to, you know, years ago, you know, private lease lines, you know, uh, data centers were, were different. So how are we, uh, how can we leverage all these, you know, these greater speeds, more reliability, the further reach of, of what's going on? Um, you know, where's what's happening at the edge? How does it impact cloud? How does it impact businesses and how they're, how they're how they're working. Um, the cloud companies are even now fighting for the edge, um, which is you know emerging. You have analyst firms that are you know uh, coming out with new acronyms for the edge. So yeah, so let's um, let's discuss it. I mean, from my perspective, I think um, you know the biggest thing with SD WAN is path awareness. You know, for years I think we had endpoint awareness, so that enables us to do things with these these broadband connections. Uh, and these internet connections at the edge uh, from not just connecting to cloud, but just, you know, accessing all sorts of um, things from IOT devices, um, uh, you know, and other things. And I think the biggest thing when we look at this, let's not forget that these internet um, exchange companies like Equinix and uh, Digital Realty, um, Coresight, I mean, they're exploding. I mean, their growth is exploding. I mean, they are seeing a massive uptick. So I think that's a part of this as well. Well, I think those providers have have like um, the cloud companies all kind of co- co-locating into their locations. And then all the other enterprise companies are plugging into them to enter, you know, interconnect their network to whatever cloud provider they use. So I think there's a there's a big power in those becoming, yeah, you know, the network point of presence of the future. Right. So so those Equinix digital realties, they are really becoming like the hub of everything. But I mean. Isn't it an internet everything now? I mean, isn't everybody kind of a cloud first? Whether you you think it's 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 um, it's cheaper or not, everybody wants a cloud first, a SaaS app or, or whatever. And you know, does this private network or, or you know your WAN really matter anymore? I, I think this is a question that's going to start taking on more and more um, deeper meaning in the next like year or two for a lot of companies. Yeah, I think lots of companies, in the same way that uh, I think the quarantine and COVID has made people reevaluate whether they need an office or whether they need so many offices, people are also evaluating whether they really need to maintain a WAN and firewalls and the VPNs when everyone's just accessing SaaS apps that are hosted somewhere else anyway. 
Uh, and so there is a big pivot from companies buying these network setups for their own internal use versus the SaaS conglomerates are renting capacity to optimize delivery of their service. So my hometown, 100,000 inhabitants, and I was talking to someone, I found out that someone just opened a data center in town. I was like, what, really? Seriously, a data center? It seems kind of anachronistic. I said, no, 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 you have no idea. He is hosting the, the point of presence for Netflix and all of these things, uh, for Epic Games, for all of these online game streamers. And his business is growing by leaps and bounds because they all need to have points that are as close as possible to the consumers. And it's got down to mid-sized provincial cities. So that's a very different world from the one where companies would have the network closet on premise and they would be managing things that way. And so that's kind of a, an interesting change that people are no longer thinking also in terms of security, of defending the edge of the corporate network and only opening these uh, carefully controlled uh, points of connection. And instead, everyone's just using their browser to go to a SaaS app, so you don't need that. But instead, consumer services are relying more and more on all of this. But once again, the carriers are missing out. They just dump pipes for all of this. I think the, the biggest threat here is to all the carriers, right? Because the carriers have a very traditional uh, business model. They're, they're kind of uh, stuck in this model. They're, they, can't, uh, they can't pivot from it. And, and I think that's why you're seeing them being like, oh, you know, maybe instead of being just the pass-through, maybe we need to own content so people come to us. And, and you see them pivoting that way. I think people also think 5G will be a game changer here. But I don't, I mean, I don't really see it kind of, you know, I, I can't picture people walking around with every laptop with a 5G card in it and, and everybody being connected wireless and then, and then companies going the same way and just getting rid of the wire. I, I think the wire just uh, provides a benefit that people will not let go so easily. Yeah, and the interest of 5G could be if it really does enable some new business cases around Internet of Things and just facilitates a whole lot more smart devices out there, more than, as you say, people cussing the cords and relying on uh, a 5G connection for the entirety of their Internet access. I'm not sure I see that happening soon, especially because, and I'm not a network engineer, so I may be speaking through my hat here, but my understanding is that 5G is pretty dense. It has a small size of cells, so it's not very good in rural areas. But in cities, it has a problem with penetrating through solid objects such as buildings. So I don't know. The rollout doesn't seem like a slam dunk to me in that situation. So I tend to mostly ignore 5G. I'm more interested in some of the, as Zach said, the, the SD-WAN, the routing, uh, because I think in a streaming world, in an internet-dependent world, that's ultimately going to make more of a difference. Yeah, and I think we have a lot of things to work out with 5G from standards, uh, you know, on on down. I think it's, um, I think we're far from there on 5G. And honestly, I think we've we've lost the race so far. I mean, if you look at patents issued, uh, most of the patents are in China and they led the way with 5G years ago. Mike and I, you and I were talking about this four years ago. They were rolling out ZTE and Huawei were rolling everything out, and, you know, in China and and some from the Middle East and, and Australia is rolling it out. So I think um, I think both of you are right. I think 5G has, has has some obstacles. It was supposed to be here today and then tomorrow. Now you read 2022. So I think the... Um, I think what has to happen is the uh, the telcos have to figure out how they're going to leverage this. Right now, they're they're vying for relevancy at the edge. They're trying to offer services, their own add-on services, and I think both of you are right. It's 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 challenging times for them, and and they're behind the eight ball. And there's a bigger impact. And we we talked about data on one of our previous episodes. I mean, I go back to China. I, I think they, you know, they 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 they've jumped ahead in this race, and and now they're reaping the rewards. Um, 
if you call it that, I mean, they are invading the privacy of their citizens for the most part, but they're reaping the rewards of all this data and, and some of the 5G use cases. I, I will tell you that some companies will be careful on data. I think that's the, I think when you look at like um, the need for a data center, I, I think some companies will only have it if, um, if they have a specific set of data that they want to keep like on-prem, really controlled tightly and don't trust it going out, right? Especially when you look at your big cloud players being, you know, um, um, you know, Amazon, who somebody might compete with, or a, a Google who wants to monetize everything. And, and then there's Microsoft and why Microsoft has such a such a stable hand in it. So I, I think if you're a company with some with some really specific data that you want to protect, you're probably keeping it in-house. And that's the only reason like the data centers would continue and why the network needs to be really um kind of uh locked in for those uh those companies. Um but then again, I think the other thing, if you look at it, like from an IoT standpoint, I think if we look at, let's let's look at autonomous drive cars, right? I think if you really want to get there, cars need to talk to each other. And then you're talking about 5G, massive data throughput, cars talking to cars on the road. And then there's a real case for, for 5G on on at that level. But I think from an end user perspective, I, I don't know that I that I really see it unless video takes a leap and, and you start to need like really that kind of throughput on uh, on a device per device basis. Yeah, if something like uh, Quibi or however you pronounce it takes off uh, that ridiculous startup that's like, everyone's going to pay uh, 10 bucks a month for content that's optimized for watching in the commute <laughs> during a pandemic. That was the uh, worst time to market launch in quite some time. There may be a future there, I'm not sure, but Right now, I don't think it's going anywhere. They'll need to, to raise more money to try and stay alive until people are commuting again, if they're going to go any further. But yeah, no, the machine to machine is the interesting aspect. And Zach and I did a project in a previous life uh, with connected vehicles. And those things are spewing like tens of gigs a day per vehicle. And so you've got to store that, you've got to transmit it. You've also got to do something useful with it on the back end. You've got to analyze it. And so there's, uh, there's a lot going on there. But yeah, I agree with you. Data centers are the sorts of things that are going to become quite specialized. It's not going to be every company with a few hundred or a thousand employees is going to automatically have a data center i think they're going to be things that if you need one you're, you're going to know and if you don't um, you're not going to bother with it you're going to pick a cloud provider that matches your other requirements like retailers maybe not going to go with amazon because they don't want to feed the competition but they're still gcp and azure and uh, a whole ton of other ones if uh, you need something more specialized zach you're the you're the most um you're the most knowledgeable in this area i mean and, and a company with multiple offices i mean what do the carriers have to offer them in the future i mean how do the carriers pivot here because i haven't seen any any carrier kind of pivot in a in a way to take advantage of of the changes happening are, are they just really kind of doomed in, in some respect here it depends what we're talking about i i, I think definitely they're they're struggling so they're trying to offer services a couple of years ago hey we'll manage your sd-wan solution or you know we will um you know provide you a portal i mean there is an operational challenge and i don't know that it's a big operational challenge because you know managing sd-wan um you know there is a benefit to that centralized uh, controller but uh, you know, they're trying to offer those services when it comes to 5G. I mean, if you dig a little deeper on 5G, it's low latency and there's a thing called network slicing in a 4G world. It was like, you know, uh, you put everything into one bucket uh, in a 5G world. You have multiple buckets, very specialized. So I think that's where they're starting to focus is, OK, uh, you're probably hearing more about these 5G data centers. And these are nothing more than just, you know, a, a pop, if you will, but like a mini data center at each of the RANs, the radio access networks. And in a 5G world. 
Uh, you have a lot of radio access networks. So uh, service providers are now pivoting somewhat to that edge, that RAN, that edge data center. Uh, they're calling it the 5G data center. And with those, that partitioning that I'm talking about, if you can envision maybe 10 different um, private slices, one could be uh, for autonomous vehicles, one could be for retail, whatever it is. And I think that if they can, if they can push 5G out in time, I think their their market model is going to change, right? How they are selling this, but it's just not there yet. So how do you, you know, is it two years out? I don't know. I mean, they say it's there today, but I, there's a lot of issues um, to fully get there. So I think today, when it comes to SD-WAN and broadband and some of that stuff, they are you know trying to offer value. I don't know that they're going to win, to be quite honest, especially now with the cloud guys at the edge. I mean, let's face it, they lost to the cloud guys, you know, years ago. They're not going to win this battle at the edge. Now you, you shift to 5G and say, okay, we own that. It's a, just a transport, but what if we could offer... Um, you know, d different services over there, our 5G data center. So I think they're trying to bridge over to that. And right now, I don't think they're doing well with the bridge. But Mike, you, you have uh, a lot of remote sites. What? How do you leverage it? Well, I mean, you, you start to look at SD-WAN, you start to look at, I mean, the, the thing is like the the carrier's business is, is, is so expensive for dedicated lines. So, I mean, when you start to look at the multiples and the savings by just going to, to standard internet and, and SD-WAN, it, 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 I mean, the savings are, are are quite quite substantial. So I think companies have to look at it, uh, even if they're concerned about about quality or, or so on and so forth, right? I think it's it's interesting when you start to look at the carrier. So what you're saying is like they're going to start being focused more on wireless communication okay let's say whatever whatever that looks like right 5g or whatever the future is I, I i wonder if like it becomes interesting for an equinix or digital reality because those are the relationships that are coming much more important compared to the carrier for for enterprise so maybe your carrier was an important relationship you know maybe five ten years ago but i think that's shifted and now your cloud players your data center players your co-location players, they become more important. I wonder if it becomes interesting for either an Equinix or digital reality to look at like acquiring one of the carriers, uh, only like maybe the wireline business or whatever. Oh, that'd be interesting, turning things inside out. Well, I'll tell you one thing about Equinix, about three, four years ago, they are the ones now that, that terminate the subsea fiber. You know, so um, there is some couple, one I think from South America, one from Europe, oh, yeah. and they actually own that. So I, I think what people don't, don't really think about sometimes is about 85, 95% of the internet traffic goes through an Equinix. They don't compete with these carriers. So, I mean, uh, you know, Verizon, AT&T, T-Mobile, all these guys, they go through like an Equinix. Uh, I mean, I think the stat might be 90% of or more of the traffic, right? So, um, it, why? I guess acquiring them, that would be interesting. But I tell you why I think it's interesting, and I'd like both of your opinions. The government's kind of stepping in on this 5G race. It's crucial. I mean, if we lose it, there's a big impact. So, I don't know. I mean, do they get bailed out? Does someone acquire them? Uh, does the government step in? I think it's interesting. So that's where I think there could be a possibility. So if we think back to the 3G race and a little bit with 4G, many of the telcos and the carriers were hoping to be able to charge consumers extra for services. So they'd be able to charge extra for streaming video on mobile or whatever it was. And that got shut down saying that was anti-competitive. They couldn't do that. So they couldn't differentiate between the traffic from their own streaming video 
service and from YouTube or what, what have you. And so that shut down that idea faster because at that point, there, <laughs> there's no revenue. In it. Uh, with 5G, I think there might be an opportunity to revisit that conversation, but not so much for consumers because otherwise we'd be right back where we started, but for uh, devices, for machines. So as we were saying, for the machine-to-machine communication to be able to slice up the comms and offer reliable channels, maybe low bandwidth channels for simple sensors, uh, maybe high bandwidth, but uh, not time sensitive for other things. And so that uh, the sellers of these devices, which again, are going to be pretty much everything, everything is going to be connected, everything's going to have a chip in it, will be able to choose the right level of service for their devices. And 5G will enable them to offer much better SLAs and reliability uh, for these types of things. So that's one angle that I would think would be interesting uh, in this coming world. What do you think, Mike? I think it it could be interesting. It's a yeah. It's still a little. It, it still needs to be defined. I mean, I don't. I, I don't see it uh, completely playing out uh, in in that in that manner, right? Yeah. Ultimately, five G is missing the so what, as we call it in enterprise sales. There's there's no compelling reason for a customer to invest in 5G. It's a technology that the carriers are very excited to push and everyone's excited to talk about it. And from a consumer point of view and even from an enterprise buyer point of view, outside of some pretty specialized use cases, I don't see it. And we call that the, the so what in enterprise sales when someone comes to you, Mike, and says, hey, you know, I'm going to enable you to save a bunch of money by doing X. Save a bunch of money is the so what. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, when we when we made the leap from, let's say, 3G to 4G, and I, I think from a 3G, which was GSM, right? Um, you know, Europe was kind of the leader there. And then 4G, I, I get the feeling uh, the Americas took over, right? And, and became the leader in that space. I th- well, the standards converged, those time division versus code yeah. division multiplexing yeah. and yeah. 4G converged that, yeah. Because for a while, there was that annoying thing that you could buy an iPhone in the US that wouldn't work in Europe and vice versa. But I think, you know, everybody realized that you needed to go from 3G to 4G because the 3G experience and then when you compare it to a 4G experience, I mean, and, and now I think that, that that 4G experience has led us to uh, to all these apps, to enriched video on your on your on your mobile and, and so on and so forth. Right. And it's good enough. What am I not able to do with 4G? I can watch video on the go with 4G. It's good enough. What, what's the five? And I think we haven't hit a limitation where people want it, except for the IoT guys who want to bring back like massive boatloads of data to um, to a data farm or whatever. I think that's where it gets a bit um, interesting. So I don't think it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's weird to say, but I think in the past, the enterprise used to lead everything and the enterprise used to push for the new technology, which is what I think is happening around um around sd-wan right the enterprise is pushing it so so you're seeing the carriers start to think about it but i don't see but i think it's changed in terms of like okay the end users or the regular commercial users um uh like me and you and our, our families they pushed really the the wireless uh kind of uh path forward to upgrade but now i don't like i see the enterprise wanting to push 5g but i don't see the regular consumer wanting to push 5g and that's where i think there's there's really an issue when we look at the future of of networks right yeah i'll say one thing on 5g is latency that's the biggest thing not as much bandwidth but focus on latency it's so all these latency sensitive apps um 
it's a game changer for that, but we're still a ways away. What do you mean by that, Zach? That latency becomes much more irrelevant in a, in a 5G world? Yeah, it's a much lower. Latency in a 5G world is, um, is, is much lower than it is in a 4G world. So you'll have uh, not just faster speeds, but you know, much lower latency, which obviously is better for you know, whatever you might be doing, gaming, uh, some applications, uh, things like that. So you know, this is another discussion, but it really brings you into things like distributed machine learning. Uh, we talk about machine learning, but how about distributed, which is being pushed out there, talk about you know, what it does in an IoT world, things like that. Sounds like it's another discussion altogether. Is that why China so far ahead on, on or, or why China wants 5G so much? Because maybe the data is all in the Americas and Europe and they want access to it. Do you think that's part of the driver? I think they want access to their own data. The, the, you know, the, the country who wins that battle um, wins because when you have data, then you can model things. Uh, Dominic and I know this from our previous life, but when you have data, you can do things, you can model things, you can predict things. Uh, the more data you have, the better. And I think that's why companies in the U.S. were flocking to China. Uh, because they have access to a lot of data. I mean, they have uh, IoT, 5G everywhere. I mean, the citizens there don't really have any privacy, but what they do have is a lot of data. And uh, look at the pandemic, how they were able to track a lot of things. You know, people say, well, how, how do they know this? How are they able to do this? Uh, you know, they're able to model and do things that we can't do. So I think um, from a data perspective and a latency perspective, um, 5G is is a game changer. I've talked to analysts in the past who have said, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, they were split 50-50. Uh, you would have half of them say, look, you don't even use 150 meg for IoT or 200 meg or whatever for 4G. So why do we need 5G? Um, I think it's more than just bandwidth. I think it's latency. I think it enables a lot of other things that we're not thinking about. So we're not thinking about tomorrow when we talk about it. But you're right, Mike. Uh, machine learning, data, things like this. So does everything lead to the cloud? <laughs> uh, we should have another discussion on this. But I, I think it. I think yeah. What is the cloud? The cloud is it's on prem now. So if you look at it like that, I, I think. I think, yes. I mean, there's a big piece of it there. What do you think? I, I don't know. I, I think we're getting to a point where location won't matter except for policy and regulatory reasons. I think that's that's kind of where we're heading, right? And I think we're, everything that's being built is to enable that and to unlock uh, location, right? And I think that'll lead to uh, further innovation in, in this world. Uh, of course, the governments need to maybe get out of the way or, or maybe get in the way if we don't want certain things to happen, but that remains to be seen. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, the compliance aspect of location is a big one. It's always that and proximity to where the data is going to be either generated or consumed. Those are the two drivers. But yeah, let's get into that next week. This has been a fascinating conversation. Monday is the WWDC keynote. Uh, so let's see if uh, anything happens with Hay. Uh, between now and then otherwise we'll just have to wait and check in on zach's bet in a year from now <laughs> but meanwhile <laughs> everyone have a great weekend and we'll talk to you next week thanks a lot guys and get us those uh, hey invitations all right yeah that's right thank you bye guys have a good one. bye